The one thing that I find really is lacking in a lot of wedding professional websites are calls to action. You have to encourage wedding couples to explore the rest of your website. You have to tell them what to do next in order to move them along in that customer journey. So I think a lot of people fall into the trap of having this big, beautiful image or in in videographers cases, maybe a big, beautiful video loop at the top of the page and there's no call to action. It's just all this space being used up with admittedly showing what you do, but you need to tell people what to do next. You know, the main aspect of being a success in your business is actually selling your service. Who would have thought? When it comes to videos, whether you're doing weddings, company profiles, corporate work, or ads, the fastest way to sell is to draw emotion from the viewer. It doesn't matter how good your shot or how epic the setting is. It'll be no match from the power of audio. The clear audio and music are the keys to telling and selling a story. For us, and a lot of people in my industry, the best source for high-quality music is none other than Musicbed. Musicbed has a highly curated roster featuring hundreds of artists, bands, and composers. As a Wedding Video Boss listener, you can get your first month of subscription free or 20% off of a single song purchase. Just enter the promo code no space wedding video boss when you check out. Now you could call yourself a savant, a master storyteller or whatever the heck you need to say to make yourself different. Remember, use the promo code wedding video boss or click on the link in the notes. Welcome to the Wedding Bossness podcast where we talk about the business of being a wedding creative. Bossness is defined as the epic act of proving your doubters wrong by doing everything right. I coined that. I think I coined it. If this is your first time listening, this podcast is for you, the small business owner who wants to turn their passion into profit, the late bloomer that everyone already wrote off, that boss who wants to try something different, diversify, but has been receiving nothing but resistance. I'm with you. It's hard. Especially when the biggest obstacle for your success is yourself. That's why I didn't want to be that podcast just to bring you the inspiration. I want to bring you the tools for execution. Here we talk about the value that you'll bring to the table. How to actually turn an inquiry into a client. Yeah, everyone can shoot or decorate or coordinate or play music. But what makes you unique is you, that extra ingredient that sets you apart. And this podcast is here to enhance that. These guests bring something more, and their experience is not just based on theory. It's based on hard evidence, numbers. Their topics may not be the sexiest because it's mostly back-end stuff, and they may not be well-known in your field because they represent other industries. But that's the beauty of it. These people are hand-picked And they have sterling reputations in their own areas to give you proven tools so that you can build your business the right way. I always believe that there is something to learn from someone in an unexpected place. And I want to be the one to close that gap for you. So if all this makes sense to you, welcome. 
Brenda Cadman is here. She's a website educator and owns Bon Accord Creative, a website education and web development company based in Charlottetown on beautiful Prince Edward Island in Atlantic Canada. After spending nearly 20 years supporting small businesses with their websites, she now has a keen interest and focus on empowering wedding industry and other creative professionals to build their website confidence and to learn how to better protect their websites. So don't go anywhere. Wedding Bossness Podcast with Brenda Kenman is coming right up. Hey, Brenda. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, just like what I, t- I was telling you, I was so excited because when I started podcasting, I never knew that I was going to be sucked into the world of business. Because <laughs> oh, my goal was to just talk to videographers and you know just talk talk about talk shop, and yeah. it ended up just spiraling into this talking to business gurus and you know all of the professional people who love business as well and right now this is one of my most highly anticipated topics because oh gosh no pressure (laughs) (laughs) no that's the thing like no one really wants to talk to me about this and I'm like this is probably really easy because it's your specialty but just like what we were talking about earlier it's probably harder for for behind the scenes people like me, like us, we're behind the scenes people. Yeah. There's a reason why we're, we're behind the scenes, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, my experience with, I mean, this is not to be a blanket statement, but in my experience, people who tend to be really fantastic website developers and coders are not always the ones who want to be the face of the business. And I think that's puts me in kind of a unique position because um, I am not a developer. I run a business that does web development and it allows me to be able to speak to people who are maybe not familiar with website jargon and, and the tech speak that I think a lot of developers can kind of slip into just because they know it so well. Um, I think it puts me in a, a kind of a, a unique position to be able to bridge that gap between the creative entrepreneur and the web developer. And that's probably why I'm a lot more comfortable getting on and doing things like this than a lot of people who are more behind the scenes. That's great because, you know, I just realized that for the longest time I was struggling to be the face of the company because I was used to being in the the back end, like the production side. And mm-hmm. it took me a long time to start the podcast. And I'm like, wait a minute, podcast is just audio. Why am I why am I holding back? And then, you know, just finding out all these reasons to to not do it. But, you know, people like you are great because you're very inspirational and you you found the the one thing that's gonna help you promote your business and, you know, skyrocket your your service well i appreciate that but i will note that january is my 20th year in business and it took me that long to get to this point so (laughs) it doesn't come without a lot of uh trial and error and a lot of failure and uh, just a lot of 
trying new things and figuring out what works for you. And um, I'll be honest, I mean, five years ago, if you'd asked me if I would be willing to put myself out to be interviewed on as a guest on podcasts, never mind hosting my own podcast, I would have said, you're crazy. But a lot can <laughs> change in five years. So here we are. <laughs> That's great. Hey, and, and knowing that you've been doing this for a, for a while is makes you even more, you know, it makes you even more of a pro that that you know what you're talking about. And I am so excited to get into to this. But before we start, before we get into the interview, I would love it if you tell the listeners and maybe the viewers something about yourself <laughs> that they would probably be surprised to know about. Well, there was that little bit about the fact that I'm not a web developer. I think that usually catches people off guard because they're like, what? well, you run a web development company. What do you mean you're not a web developer? Mm. Um, I I guess something a lot of people don't know is that I was going, and from the time I was five years old until I was 21, I was going to be an elementary school teacher. And I got more than halfway through my degree to do that before I decided, oh, shoot, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a very, very big day. That was probably one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made in my life is to change gears after 15, 16 years of planning what I was going to do and then to suddenly be wondering, okay, what now and being open to new possibilities. And oh boy, I never would have imagined. I get actually not only would I not have imagined what I'm doing now did not exist when I decided I wasn't going to go into teaching anymore. So um, yeah, I think a lot of people are surprised that I didn't start out going into tech of some kind. Was there a reason why you considered being a teacher? I loved the whole idea of teaching. I just, um, I guess, I think I was very influenced by my my kindergarten and grade one teacher, Mrs. McPherson. I loved the stickers she handed out when we got our our assignments backed. And I, I loved the whole classroom environment. My mom was an elementary school teacher as well. Um, and I think maybe what I really enjoyed was the process of education. And to be honest, that's really what I do now. It's just a very different topic and a very different audience. But um, I, I think I just, well, there's also the fact that I love office supplies. <laughs> I think you find a lot of those in the classroom. So you leave me in staples for a couple of hours and I'm happy to wander the aisles. So um, I'm not sure specifically what it was about education. I think I just grew up with a love of learning. Yeah. The, and, actually, um, yeah. The, actually, that's why I asked you because my mom's a preschool teacher. Well, mm. she she was a teacher for, I think, maybe like 30 years. And then now she's a preschool teacher. And then my sister's a preschool teacher. And my sister-in-law is a preschool teacher. And it was just like I just got so used to being around education that I was yeah. like, I don't think I want to be a teacher because it's kind of like I'm Filipino. If my my parents are nurses, we were supposed to be nurses. <laughs> we're like predestined <laughs> to be nurses. The family tradition. <laughs> <laughs> but some people, some Filipinos are teachers and mm -hmm. I never wanted to be that because I was so used to it that I wanted to do something different. And guess what? Now I'm back and it. I feel here like you are again. <laughs> here I am again, and it feels like it's just like what I was telling you earlier. I had imposter syndrome, and you know, I, it's hard for me to like 
be like a, a an expert in a field to tell people I'm an expert in the field because I have imposter syndrome and I have anxiety and but then I started speaking on stage I started talking to people like you and it was like it felt very second nature and it's because I feel like us being around this this environment is going to be helpful for us to bring out it's easier for us to bring it out well, and I think it's one of those things, the more you do it, the easier it gets. See, there just is no way around it. You're never going to be fully prepared. You just have to push yourself to do the things that are not comfortable in order to get comfortable with them. And I've kind of taken the approach in the last five or 10 years, well, probably more like five years, just that if I am not a little bit uncomfortable, I'm probably not growing. So I do tend to accept opportunities now that I'm, they make me a little nervous. They, if, if they make me a little bit nervous and I don't, it's not one of those feelings of, oh no, I don't want to do this. This, this makes me, this feels wrong. If it's just a nervousness out of, oh, that's a big step, then I'm usually going to push myself to do it. I love that. Oh my gosh. That feels so familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so now be, speaking about being uncomfortable and pushing yourself I would love it if we already kind of like tapped into your origin story, but tell us a little bit more about how you started and in your business and what you're up to right now. Sure. Um, so after I made that decision to not pursue teaching, I did finish my degree in psychology, which maybe I'm using on some level now. I don't know. <laughs> but I went into office administration after that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I just spent a lot of time focused on office management and trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was really good at the administration side of things, but I didn't really feel that it was my calling, I suppose. It just, it, it didn't light me up. Um, and I think we all have those things that we're good at, but it's not necessarily what we want to be spending our time doing. And then I ended up having a wrist injury. It was actually a recurrence of a, a wrist injury that I'd had when I was in high school and throughout university. And I could no longer do all the writing and the typing that was necessary um, for my job. And that kind of pushed me out into the world of entrepreneurship. I am not a born entrepreneur. I don't think you have to be in order to be successful as a small business owner. I think that you can learn a lot of those skills, but some of us really need to be pushed out of the nest. <laughs> so um, I was very much pushed out because I couldn't do anything else. So I took a little bit of time off and then started really asking myself, what is it that I really want to do? And I had started dabbling in website development and was doing a little bit of it on the side, just helping some small businesses get um, their websites up. But it was really just kind of a part-time gig. But in 2004, um, I decided to pursue it kind of as my my full-time thing because um, I certainly wasn't going to go back to administration. And I will say, you've probably found this as well, Paul, that once you get a, a taste of self-employment and entrepreneurship, it's really hard to imagine going back to working for somebody else. So mm -hmm. um, I made the big leap full-time in 2004 and um, haven't looked back. That's so. That's cool. And um, I think as it was 2005 that I ended up meeting a woman who became my business partner for almost eight years, and we built a digital marketing agency together. And then in early 2013, we just 
mutually agreed that it was time to go back and do our own separate things because we just our lives had changed a lot and we had different goals and uh, I decided I would go back out on my own and focus specifically on web development again and focused a lot on the wedding industry at that time so I've spent probably the better part of the last six years focused quite heavily on professions within the wedding industry space I I, I like that um you concentrated on a niche because, you know, when whenever people like us videographers, when we start out, I'm like, okay, let's do, I really want to do weddings, but then we get like birthday parties or mm-hmm. corporate and suddenly you're just spreading yourself too thinly. And so now when, when you, when you got into this and you, and for the last six years, you've been like trying to concentrate more on this, I feel like people need to understand that when you're in an industry the the more narrower you get the better your chances are of surviving yep. right so the riches are in the niches so i yep it's very very true um i think there's a real fear especially in the beginning of your business that if you narrow your focus too much that you're going to alienate and eliminate uh, a lot of the Uh, project opportunities but the reality is that if you get really really specific about who you serve and and what makes you different then that is going to naturally attract people to you because you become known for something very specific so I got to the point where people started to know me as oh she's the one who specializes in wedding industry websites Um, so that just not only helps memorability but it definitely helps close the sale a lot more quickly because people know that they're dealing with somebody who really has a a very specific knowledge of their industry so absolutely narrowing down is one of the scariest things you can do but it absolutely tends to be the way you're going to see more success yeah that's exactly how i feel so now i want to ask you because you also have a podcast i do so brand new (laughs) <laughs> oh, brand new. When did you start? September 18th. <laughs> Ooh. So, yes. okay. So, what was the reason behind that? Why did you create uh why did you start the your your podcast? And what's the title of your podcast? The podcast is the Create a Better Website podcast. Um and I just realized that there was this gap. I was searching for podcasts that talked about the things that I know business owners need to learn about websites and there really isn't much out there. So immediately a little, you know, ding, ding, ding goes off in my my brain saying there's an opportunity here and you, you'd be stupid not to grab this <laughs> because I was looking for something to be doing instead. I was doing weekly videos for on my blog and it just was not getting the traction that I wanted. Plus, it's not the medium that I feel most comfortable in. I will get on video. I'm prepared. Like I said, I'm prepared to be uncomfortable. But if I can find something that is more comfortable (laughs) that I'm going to be churning out on a weekly basis, I'm going to do it. So I thought the podcast medium seemed like a better fit for me. But nobody was talking about these things. And I am very much on a mission to help creative professionals in the wedding industry and outside of the wedding industry to build their website confidence and to take control of their websites and to stop being scared of their websites because so many people are 
overwhelmed by making choices around their websites. They are afraid they're going to break something. So they just don't attempt to make any changes to it. And they tend to make a lot of the same mistakes. And I realized that I am in a position to educate on this in a way that a lot of website development people can't because, like I said, I'm not a developer. So my wheelhouse is administration and organization and relationships and communication. So I think that allows me to bridge that gap between the developer tech speak side of things and those that those people who really feel intimidated about the tech. So that, I mean, that's basically it in a nutshell. I just wanted to be able to take these topics that feel really overwhelming and to break them down into chunks that people can apply in their businesses and then gradually start to build up that website confidence so they can make better decisions for their business. You know, I feel like that's a really, really good strategy because you are looking at the projects from uh, the, the point of view of a consumer. Mm-hmm. Because just like for, for creatives, when especially like the back end people like if you build a website or we we create this video and no one tells us that hey it the video is it's kind of like too slow or it's a little bit cheesy or something like that having that in you like when you possess that trait which is a very rare trait it's easier for you to like quickly judge how people are going to respond to it. Like, you know. Well, and what I find is that, I mean, the reality is that in your space, your wheelhouse is creating amazing videos and, and cinematography. You're, you're, how, how are you supposed to know how to create a website that's effective? That's not your zone of genius. And it's completely understandable that business owners who specialize in a specific thing are not going to necessarily know how to do all the other things. So, but how do you know um, unless somebody guides you to that knowledge and nobody is, nobody's stepping in and, and talking about the mistakes to avoid and the things to make sure that you do to make the process easier. Um, And I also wanted to make sure that I wasn't getting on and blathering about website jargon for an hour nobody (laughs) wants to listen to that for an hour so most of my episodes are going to be much shorter Um, they're going to be more in the kind of 15 to 20 minute range a lot of them which is more of a that way I can just get it down to a bite-sized chunk that you can take something out of and apply fairly quickly in your business or tweak the processes that you have Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that by making them short and very narrowly focused and actionable that people will be able to take something out of it and not feel quite so uh, freaked out by their website. Yeah, I know. You, you. I feel like, especially now that we're approaching 2020, it's getting a little bit more overwhelming because social media by itself is already an avenue for you to promote your work and find clients so at this day and age, what is, is there like a new purpose for your website or what, sh- what should your website be in, in this age? Um, well, I mean, it depends on who your audience is. I do think that we have creative professionals in particular have a tendency to jump into 
building a pretty website. They make a lot of their decisions about their website based on what it looks like. And the reality is, and I'm going to use a line that I actually use in the intro to my my podcast because I, I repeat it so many times, it's kind of become my tagline. Re- the reality is that clients don't do business with you because your website is pretty. So you need to go a lot deeper than that. You really have to figure out who your website is for and what its purpose is. And I think most people think that the purpose is to get more clients. And yes, that that is true, but you have to go a lot more deeply than that if you're going to create a website that is actually effective. So I usually like to say that in order to determine your purpose, you're going to, you have to figure out who your audience is and you have to figure out what your goals are. This is something, and I'm sure you've run into this. We, I mean, we're talking about narrowing down um, your niche for, for what you focus on. You have to get clear on your ideal client, who you want your website to appeal to, because that is going to impact your website's messaging. It's going to impact your message's imagery. And if you don't have an understanding of who your ideal client is, you are not going to be able to create a website that appeals to them. This is not something that people want to do. They don't want to slow down and take the time to get really clear on who this ideal client is. And ultimately, we all end up having to do it because we're not going to find the success that we want until we take that step. So if I mean, the fact is that if it's not appealing, it's not going to work. And I put this off myself. I never had a clear audience. I finally did the work in the past year. Like it's that recent and it has made everything so much easier to decide on. Every decision about your website becomes a lot easier once you actually know who it is that you want it to appeal to. And the the flip side of that is that I'm also less concerned when I get feedback that isn't completely positive. If it's from somebody that is not my ideal client, I just don't really give a rip anymore. <laughs> yeah. So that's a nice, that really helps you, you know, keep your eyes on the prize. So they, as they say, um, So once, I mean, the kinds of questions you're going to be asking yourself to figure out who your ideal client are, you've probably heard these. And yes, it includes figuring out what their favorite books are, the favorite magazines and what podcasts they listen to and what their hobbies are and what their favorite Starbucks beverages and all these questions. And it feels kind of silly to do, but it's just about getting inside the brain of the person that you're trying to appeal to. Because once you know who that person is, then you can spend some time to get clear on what they're looking for on your website. Does that make sense? Yeah, actually, it just feels like it just feels like dating. Like you have to, you have to have on your profile the information already instead of just like your photo. Like, hey, I'm available. You know, you have to have. I like cats. I like blah blah blah. You know, so I I feel like so. I, is that what you're you're saying? Is, yeah, I mean yeah. that's a big part of it. It's you need to know what um, who you're looking to appeal to. Whose attention do you want? And and but you also have to know what they're looking for because if you don't know what they're looking for you're not going to be able to speak to them. So there's that side of it, but then you also do need to understand what your goals are for your website. And yeah, increasing your sales is probably going to be the one that most people think of, but you are going to probably have other goals as well. You probably want to establish trust with potential clients. You probably want to build your brand visibility, and then you're going to have more specific goals as well. You might have really concrete. um, I want to book X number of consultations uh, in the next quarter, I want to sell 
a certain number of a certain service package. And your goals are going to change as your business grows and changes. Mine definitely did. I mean, when I started, even even a year ago, my goal was very much to get a certain number of consultation calls. But as my business has evolved and changed more towards the website education side of things, I'm a lot more concerned about growing my email list than I am about getting consultation calls because that side of things is just handled now. So I think getting really clear around what you want your website to do and who you want it to serve, that's where you need to start. Otherwise, you how do you make decisions about what content is going to go on there and what it's going to look like? Yeah, that's that I think that's the toughest part because like for for me as a videographer, when I started out, I posted the videos that I loved making and when I shifted to posting the videos that people would want to see like cuz we there was a a time where I wanted everything to be cinematic and beautiful mm-hmm. and blah 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 but then I wasn't getting the clients that I wanted I was just getting like the clients that um connected to the videos but it wasn't necessarily the market that I wanted to tap in. So I switched it and it actually worked. Like I, I got into the market that I wanted to get into. So that I, I feel like that's the hardest part as a creative is to make sure that the, that's the thing. Like my question for you is what if my taste for something, what if my taste for content it's different from the market that I want to get into. How am I going to get into that market? Like, do, is, does that make sense? I, I, yeah, I think I know what you're saying. I mean, I mean, in some cases, you if your taste is so different from the people that you want to serve, there's going there's a real disconnect there, and um, I would probably reevaluate if that really is the market that you want to serve because if it's going to always be in conflict with what you personally want to create, um, then you might run into an issue. But if you're able to put aside what you personally would like from what you are able to create for your ideal client, then as long as you're really, really crystal clear on what they're looking for, then you're going to be able to serve them the imagery and the content that they're looking for. But I would say if a target audience, if if the ideal client you have carved out is just not, if it's a struggle to create what they are looking for, maybe it's not the right ideal client. And it takes time to figure out who you want to serve. And it also can change. I mean, the, the market that I focus on has evolved numerous times over the past 20 years and it's always being refined and even when I think I've got a lot of clarity around who I want to serve if I dig down a little bit more deeply I can usually get even more clear on it it's actually um our mutual friend Christy Osborne is the one who put Mm. me through my paces and and had me do this process over the past uh it was June 2018 that I started doing it um and Oh, it was hard work. <laughs> I didn't want to do it most of the time. Um, but I've, I, I think eventually you are able to find that audience that you want to serve that is very much in alignment with how you work as well. I'm not sure if that's about as clear as mud or I, <laughs> if actually, that makes sense. That actually makes sense because the, the reason why I asked is 
because I have friends in the industry who say that oh they 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 do a lot of really epic weddings like very okay. cultural weddings and they're like I was talking to them and they said you know I kind of want to just film normal weddings and because I'm getting really tired and it's not I mean they pay really well but it's just too much work he want they want to have like simpler weddings but they can't right. because their portfolio is just filled with all these epic right. weddings <laughs> So right. that's why I asked you is because I know it's going to take a lot of time, but it's yeah. Transitioning happen. like that can be difficult, but I think often if you are not feeling satisfied with the kinds of projects and the kind of clients that you're working with, sometimes taking a step back and looking over all of those folks that you've worked with and figure out which are the ones you enjoyed working on the most and what were the commonalities across those clients? What, what stands out that, um, made it a much more enjoyable experience. And I think you're going to be able to start pulling out elements that maybe make up your ideal client. And sometimes it's not anything to do with the type of wedding it was. Maybe it has something to do more with the personality or just the the way you connected with that client. But um, obviously, you it's hard to do that if you're at the very beginning of your business because you don't have that experience to draw from. And unfortunately, you Often when we're building our businesses, we have to we have to kiss a lot of frogs <laughs> before we find our prince. Yep. Um, and that's just the nature of the beast. But I think being self-aware and realizing that, okay, something's not right here and starting to pay attention to which clients were just ones you would never want to work with again versus what were the experiences that were really positive and start drawing some conclusions from that and realize that it's going to continue to evolve and any decision you make is not final. You can change it. Yeah, exactly. You can always change it, but m make sure that... So you're, what you're saying for my first question is make sure that you find your your purpose, which is who is your audience and what are what's the goal of the website, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Get, it's those really fundamental get clear, get clarity around what, you're, what you want to offer, what per the purpose of the website is and who you're serving. Sweet. Okay, so my second question now is, when it comes to the needs of your website, are there any particular needs that your website need to have? Yeah, and this is, again, going to be very, um, very u a unique decision. You do need, again, this is more legwork you have to do in the beginning, and this is why so many people don't want to do it, because... This is a lot of work I've already put in front of, of those listening, and they haven't even had a chance to start planning the actual website. So, uh, But you need to get clear on your nice-to-haves versus your must-haves. Your nice-to-haves are going to be those features on your website that would be really great to have, but you would skip them if they're just too expensive or if you find out that they are not possible for one reason or another. Maybe the website platform that you've decided to go ahead with. Maybe you've decided you're going to use a specific website builder. Um, and if you discover that that particular feature is just not possible on it, you're okay parking that for maybe a future phase of your website. Whereas your must-haves would be your deal breakers. These are things that you can't launch your website without. If, if you know that you need to have a specific feature on your website and to launch without it is just you're never going to be happy with it, then 
you you need to under, have an understanding of the distinction between those two things. And it's funny how many times must-haves turn into nice-to-haves once I tell people how much it's going to cost to build that must-have. Mm. <laughs> that's That kind of puts things into um, priority real fast when there's a dollar figure that comes attached to it. So getting clear around nice-to-haves versus must-haves uh, in terms of your website's needs. So it's like your, your website's wants versus your needs. And then you also need to get clear on your immediate needs versus your short-term and long-term needs. I think there's a tendency to focus on what you need just in the moment. What do I need to get this website up and running? And we don't have a lot of forethought about what you might need a little further down the road. I do understand that you may not really know yet what you would want your website to do in a couple of years from now, but if you do not slow down and plan ahead, you can very easily back yourself into a corner. So for example, let's take a really simple, um, a really simple example. If you know that you are going to want to have a video loop on your homepage instead of just a static feature image there, you better make sure that whatever you're building your website on is going to let you do that in six months when you want to make that change. Because if you are just launching now based on the fact that, well, I'm just going to use a static image now and I'll add a, a video loop, um, you know, six months, a year down the road. If you don't plan ahead to that and factor that into your decision making now, you could find yourself in a situation where that's just not possible when the time comes to add it. I like to use, I'm very big on using analogies. So let's use the analogy of building a new house, which is very relevant for me right now, given how much construction I've been working in. If you go to build a new house and you know that down the road, you're going to need an additional bedroom, you damn well better be planning your and designing your website or your, your house now with that additional bedroom factored into it. Because if you don't, and you go to try to add it on later, you might be able to add it on, but you might not be able to add it on in the way that you want. So if you don't plan now, you're probably going to end up spending a lot more money in the long term, and it's going to be a much bigger headache to deal with to add in those features later. It's, I mean, like I said, you're, you're not going to be able to know everything that you're going to need in a year, but if you slow down and really think about, well, what would I what might I like to add to this website? If everything goes to plan, what are some of the features and the functionality that I might want to add in a year or two? If you take a little bit of time to think about that, you are going to reduce future problems. Okay. So my question now is a follow-up question to this because it, Absolutely. I, I noticed in the last five years that every single year there's something new like chatbots mm -hmm. or uh, email subscription links that because me my my website was built on Wix, okay. so every single year or every six months they come up with these features that hey you you could install this and uh, it's free. So my question now is how can you plan for those things like things that you never really expected to. Things that never existed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, again, you, you, you can't plan for all of those sorts of uh, new, new features and offers that come up. And the best thing I can suggest is that 
you, if you're thinking you might want to be able to have the flexibility to add new things that come available, then that needs to be factored into the website platform that you decide to build on. Because if you decide to work with a site builder like a Wix or something like that, there may be features that are available that you can't add in because you don't have the access to the code to do that. So having an understanding of how much flexibility you want to be able to have uh, going forward is going to be important. But I also think that a lot of the times some of these bells and whistles and you know fancy little features that they come out with are not necessarily super important to the success of your of your website and if you have spent some time planning it out if you've gone through all the steps that we've we've talked about already if you've gotten really clear on what your audience is looking for that's also going to give you a bit of a filter to determine if some of these new features are even necessary or if they're just adding clutter to your website yeah that's that's the lesson i've learned really hard is I just added all these features one year and it my website looked like Frankenstein's Bride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, fun. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to add that too. <laughs> Parallax, let's do it. So it, <laughs> that's that's why I've been I've been we we're actually moving to a different platform because I we're actually getting we have a website developer and mm-hmm. that's I feel like having like a better functioning website that's just just like what you said you know the purpose of your what is the purpose of your site it's a little bit more clearer for us now so having like a a team that i i got so used to building my own website that it looked like exactly like what my room looks like right now in the house it's just like <laughs> so cluttered so so my next question for you is um since we're already talking about Wix and everything else, what mm-hmm. website platform should you build on when when it comes to your uh, business web, your wedding business site? And that's going to be a very un- um, unique decision as well. I certainly have my. Um, I'm always going to be a cheerleader for WordPress. Let's be honest. I, I run a WordPress, a custom WordPress development company. <laughs> I'm always going to cheer for WordPress because it it gives you the flexibility to make it look the way you want and to do what you want it to do. But the the truth is that there's no one size fits all solution because your needs and um, your your budget and your technical ability and how much time you have to put into it what you want it to look like, what you want it to be capable of doing. Everybody's answer is going to be a little bit different to those to those questions. And that's going to guide the answer. I'm not going to say you must be on WordPress or your business will fail. That might not be true. And it probably is not true. Your The business success of your business is not going to come down to uh, whether you built your website on WordPress or not. WordPress very well might be the right fit for you, but if you are just starting out, you have a shoestring budget, you have no time to learn how to build on WordPress yourself and no inclination and you're scared to death to do WordPress updates, I'm not going to force you into something that is just not going to work for you. In that case, I'd probably be saying, hey, maybe you should take a look at something like Squarespace in the meantime until you are you have some more clarity around what you want to do with this business and you have a little more time or a little more of an investment to put into building your website. 
On the flip side, if somebody says, I have a very clear, unique custom design that I want it to be able to, to look like and nothing else will do, I'm going to be saying, well, you're going to have to custom build on WordPress then, or you're just not going to find something that you're happy with. So there is no one right answer for what website platform should you build, should you build on. But again, you need to take some time to ask yourself, what are the answers to those questions? So what is your technical comfort level? How much money will you, uh, are you willing to invest? How much time? What are your design expectations? How important is page speed optimization to you? And a lot of people don't even know that's a thing. How quickly your website loads affects how users engage with it. It also impacts your SEO and you're going to be far more limited on certain platforms than others um, in terms of what you can do to improve that. So it's not a quick answer. I wish I could give a really quick answer. <laughs> I did a whole podcast episode on this topic. <laughs> um, so I, I think it really comes down again to getting very clear on what are your wants and your needs? And then looking at the platforms that are out there and finding one that will, will fit that not just now, but a little further down the road as well. So I'm, I'm a very, since, since I'm a video editor as well, I like everything manual. Like when, when I, when I start editing videos and it's like in a mo magic movie maker or whatever program that is, it's harder for me to edit a video as opposed to using the professional the professional ones where you could sure. just like manually do everything, right? And I feel like um when it comes to building a website, since it's not my specialty, I would rather just leave that to someone else. Correct? Yeah. So I I I would but the thing is my the 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 business owner in me is i can't just 100% give everything to this person without me knowing what to do if for example we couldn't communicate and there's something wrong with the site i need to know how to like yeah. manually do it myself so how how do you feel about that that i i feel like people need to get into this with a little bit of knowledge like if you're going to yeah. go WordPress, you kind of need to know, understand. Because I tried WordPress and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm going to get this site off the ground in a year. So well, yeah. and and I I agree. I think you need to have you need to ultimately have control over your own website, whether you decide to have somebody else make updates for you and and build it for you, and then you just maintain it, or whatever your comfort level is on that you need to know you need your logins you need to know how to get into it you need to know how to make basic changes you need to know who to talk to if there is a problem um, I think if you rely a hundred percent on a website developer you are it it's easy to just delegate all of that to somebody else but you, that's when people start to get into trouble is when they really don't know what's happening with their own website there listen there are different ways that you can as far as talking about building on WordPress, there are ways that it can be built to feel a lot more easy to update. I'm working on one right now. Actually, he is a cinematographer in California and um, we are building it on WordPress. But what I'm doing for him right now is I'm creating screencasts. So video documentation, instead of just giving him a, 
a list of documentation on how to make changes. I'm actually giving him video walkthroughs of how he can do it himself if he doesn't want me to handle it for him. He may just have me take care of a lot of the changes going forward, but I want him to to be empowered to make those changes himself. And I think that's really important that business owners, regardless of the platform and the tool that they, they settle on for building their website, that they are able to get into it and not be afraid to make basic changes. That doesn't mean you're going to go in there and you're going to be playing around in databases and, and um, you know, I'm not going to be asking this gentleman to make changes to the CSS or anything like that, but he needs to be able to know how to change the, the feature image on a page or change the text on a page. He needs to know how to add additional films to his film gallery and how to change his contact information. He needs to have that control over his own website. So I think people need to get clear on how much access they uh, feel that they need to have, but to understand that they, they are going to have to get comfortable with it to a certain level if they uh, don't want to risk getting into a position where they basically can't update their website at all. Yeah, Does that the, make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is why you're the best yeah. because <laughs> you, 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 you also educate your clients. That's the thing. Like I've, I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, oh, this, our website is blah, blah, blah. And we're still waiting for the, the and right. in my head, I'm like, why don't you know how to do this? At least like yeah. the basic because, you know, just like changing the feature page. If you don't know how to do this, then it's on you. It's not on the developer. And I don't want him relying on me for that. I want to go on vacation. I don't yeah. want to have to. <laughs> I don't want to have to be here twenty four seven because somebody needs to um, ch remove a film from their gallery because that client has requested that it be removed ASAP. Um, it's really important for just from a business ownership standpoint that you be able to have control over the content on your website, even if you don't know how to do some of the more technical things, because I, I wouldn't expect you to, but you, you really need to know how to get into your site and change some of the basic content. And if you have a developer who is not giving you the guidance to do that, that is something you should be asking for. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So now that we we kind of like segued into my next question. Um, <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> uh, so that's the thing. Like for people who are starting out or people who have already established their site but still don't see the results that they the, the, don't see the results that they're expecting, what content will your website need to have when you build it? But before you answer that, I really want to talk about something that the listeners should know about. The Facebook group that I have created to help wedding business owners figure out specific issues about running their business. From sales, to marketing, to advertising, social media. No art stuff here, just all business. I know, right? It's such a great idea. If you're committed to building a wedding business that will last, you need to join this group. We'll have tips, episode transcripts, workshop information, and many more. So I hope to see you there. Just click on the link in the show notes. Okay, so what's your answer to my question? The first thing, okay, so every website is going to be a little bit different because if everybody has your unique client 
client avatar that you're serving, your services will be a little bit different. You may specialize in wedding films while somebody else specializes in corporate and you're going to have your own uh, specific secret sauce, if you will. But there are kind of some key pages that you, every single uh, creative professional, especially in the wedding industry, is going to need to have. So obviously you have your homepage and you want to make sure that your homepage very clearly states what your value proposition is. So that's your, it's just a statement about why your prospective client should buy your product or use your service. What makes you uniquely special? What do you do that other people don't do? And the one thing that I find really is lacking in a lot of wedding professional websites are calls to action. You have to encourage wedding couples to explore the rest of your website. You have to tell them what to do next in order to move them along in that customer journey. So I think a lot of people fall into the trap of having this big, beautiful image or in in videographers' cases, maybe a big, beautiful video loop at the top of the page. And there's no call to action. It's just all this space being used up with admittedly showing what you do, but you need to tell people what to do next. So I often like to see if you are going to have a feature image like that or a feature video loop that you have clear call to action as a headline that catches attention, a subheading that clarifies a bit what that value proposition is, and then a couple calls to action based on different parts of the sales cycle. So you might have one that is for people who are just exploring their options. Maybe that's a view our film gallery. It's something that is not a huge commitment, but it's giving them the next step to learn more about you. And then the other call to action, maybe book a consultation for those who are ready to learn more about what you can do specifically for them. So making sure that you have calls to action, not only on your homepage, but on every single page of your website, tell people what to do next. Social proof is important. If you have testimonials, make sure you incorporate those. Um, And then in terms of other pages that you're going to have to have on your website, you, you need to have an effective about page that tells people, you know, who you are and, and who you serve not surprisingly, you're going to have a services section and that might be a single page. It might be multiple pages. You need to tell people what you can do for them. You need to have an effective area that shows examples of your work. This is going to be harder for those who are just starting out in business because they probably don't have a lot of portfolio, portfolio pieces to show off, but you do need to showcase the work that you have done. And obviously in for videographers, for photographers, and really a lot of people within the wedding industry, since it is such a visual uh, industry to be in, you're going to have some sort of gallery that demonstrates the work that you do. You have to show what you do and you want to curate that and show the best of what you can do. This also ties back in as well, though, with your ideal client, because if you don't want to do a certain kind of wedding anymore, let's make sure that as much as possible, your portfolio is not just filled with examples of that kind of wedding. Um, blog, if you intend to work on building SEO for your website, you oh my are going to the blog. That's You're, the hardest part. I know. I know. And I know some people say, oh, blogging's dead. No, it's not. Um, the, and now SEO is, is not my wheelhouse. In the, I'm not an SEO specialist. But I work a lot with Shay Bailey, who is my um, other half in terms of um, 
we we built a website called Conquer Your SEO, and it's going to be focusing on specifically specifically talking about improving SEO for creative professionals. And blogging still plays a big part in that strategy. Um, content is still really, really important. And whether you're doing it through a blog or through other content on your website, um, it, it content is very critical. So you probably are going to need a blog, but you do need to think about the kind of blogging schedule that you can commit to and the types of blog content that you might want to share because there really is still no point in putting up a blog if you're not going to actually use it. Cause I have, and you've probably seen these as well. Hey, Paul, where you've gone to a website and it's clear that they have not blogged in about three years. <laughs> it doesn't give a lot of um, inspiration for <laughs> uh, how on top of things they are. <laughs> so yeah. it's, I mean, don't, don't do it if you're not going to be able to stay on top of it. That's kind of how I feel about social media as well. But I do think that it is important to have. Oh, my gosh. So that's the thing. Like me, I know that the pendulum is shifting back to content because people are getting tired of like pretty pictures and nice video and they want like substance. (laughs) So, and I mean, images and especially video depend when this is what you do. Obviously, that's going to make up part of your content as well. It has to. Um, But coming up with kind of consistent content on a regular basis to go after those key terms that you want to be found under, it is still an important part of it. It's just one part of it, but content is one of Google's top three ranking factors that they look for. It's it's content, it's backlinks, and it's engagement. Um, and as one of the top three, it's not something that you should be ignoring and i know there's so many other things to have to be done i'm sure at the end of this people are going to be looking at this laundry list of things to do (laughs) thinking oh my god ain't nobody got time (laughs) so um you don't you're not gonna be able to do all these things at one time but they are things that you can chip away at over time and there are certain things that need to be done before other things before you start planning out your content you need to be clear on who you're serving so you start with that and then a contact page. You you need to have an effective contact page. Your contact information should actually be on every page. It should probably be in the footer of every page in addition to being on a dedicated contact page. And please don't just use a form. You need to have a form and an email at a minimum. I'd like to see a form, an email, and a phone number on there. Don't force people to use forms. A lot of people don't like them. People are, this is a very polarizing topic. I will tell you, there are some people who swear by forms and say that's, they, they always prefer to use it. And then there's a whole lot of people in my camp where if there's a form, I'm only using it if there is no other way to contact them. And if you force me to use a form, you are already putting me (laughs) in a bad mood. So um, making sure that you offer a variety of ways to get a hold of you so that your prospective clients can reach out to you in the way that they feel most comfortable. Okay, I want to ask you about that because so okay. you're, you're saying no forms, right? Oh, I mean, you no, said- no, not, but not just, I'm not saying no forms. I'm saying don't only provide a form. Gotcha. So you, you're, you need to provide your email address in there, your phone number, and then a form. Is that what you're I saying? like to see three pieces of in, those three pieces. If you have other ways that people can reach you as well, like if, if you want people to be able to text you as well, have at her. Um, but don't just have a contact page with no information except a form. Yeah. Not even just phone number and form because 
when I want to reach out to somebody electronically, I want to send it through email. I like to have a copy of what was sent. I like knowing exactly where it was going to. Um, a lot of times people have forms that suddenly break because, you know, they're working at one time. And then because of some update that was made on their website hosting company, that form is no longer working. Maybe a plugin, maybe you're on WordPress and one of your plugin updates can, has a conflict with your form plug in. Um, and then, you know, it, the thing is, is that because of that, maybe it's because I'm in the website space and I've seen forms break so many times that I know that what I send through a form is not always going to be getting to the person that I want it to get to. I much prefer to have an email address because I just, it's my comfort zone. Not everybody feels that way. Shay, um, who I work with for Conquer Your SEO, he much prefers to use a form. We're, we're very different on that on that front. But what we both agree on is that because you, uh, if you want people to be able to reach you, and I'm assuming most of the people listening to this are always on the hunt for new good quality leads in their business, you need to make it easy for your ideal clients to be able to reach out to you. Okay. So because the thing is, the, the reason why I want to pause and ask you about this is because we use a CRM. Mm-hmm. And part of the CRM is the form. So we embed it on our website. And yep. there was there was a time when I tried to like email other vendors and all their sites have is just a form of mm-hmm. just filling it up. And I'm like, I just want to email you. I don't yeah. I don't want to like answer all these weird wedding questions. I'm not getting married. So what we did for our site is we put our email address in there. We put our phone number and then we put the form, right? But with yep. the email, because I think most wedding people, the the one thing they hate are price shoppers. So yep. once their email address is in there, they just copy it, paste, and then say, what's your pricing, your packages? And people hate that. At least most of my the people I talk to because... They want like they want to provide an experience to the client, and of course. that yep. that them asking for the price is not part of their plan. So, what we've done is, um, we we put like a parentheses, like for example, Paul at Buffalo Video. We put a parentheses in the at before the ad and after the ad, just so they can't copy and paste it they actually have to like type it down and it kind of makes it a little bit more of a effort for them to to do that and also cuz we have our pricing depends on where they're getting married at so right. the more they fill out the forms the better for us to to like respond to them yeah and i think the pushback i've i've sometimes had in the past to this is that uh, sometimes people want to say, well, I, I can't give them the information they need until they fill out all of this, all of this detailed forms. It makes it easier for me in my process to be able to give them what they need. And I get that. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a position where you really are looking for more leads and opportunities, then if you if you start adding on more layers of complexity for them to reach out to you just to make it easier for yourself that's just something you need to be aware of and perhaps if 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 you know that your ideal client is willing to fill all this out then i mean that that's why it's important to know who you are trying to connect with because how you 
actually message this and give them the this, the processes that you put out in, on your contact page, even in terms of how they're co- connecting with you. If you know that your ICA is not going to, they're they're really busy. They need to quickly get in touch with you then you know that you cannot give them a long detailed form because they are not going to fill it out and it's going to be an obstacle to them actually reaching out to you. I do understand needing a little bit of information though. And this is why I think that having um, having multiple ways for them to contact you is important, but also I'm a big fan of using the starting pr- prices starting at, so at least there's some sort of, and I know there's, this is a whole other oh topic because yep. every, the <laughs> pricing question, there are so many opinions on this and how you do it. There's price shoppers in my industry as well. People who want to me to build a website for a few hundred dollars. That is not in my price point. And I at least will give some starting prices about a typical custom WordPress development site begins at, X and then at least they kind of know the ballpark that they're starting in and whether it's worth reaching out it or not. There's like in a lot of things, there's no one size fits all. Everybody has to kind of have an uh, an understanding of who they are reaching out to, how those people like to be communicated with, and sometimes having an extra barrier to reach out to you might actually make sense, but if you are trying to make it as easy as possible for people to reach out to you, it does mean you're probably going to have to deal with a few price shoppers as well. Yeah. Well, uh, from, from our experience, putting that barrier really, really helped us find the clients that are actually looking for us. So it really depends on, I feel like it really depends on what, what you want and what what your strategy is. Okay. So, um, is, are you happy with that answer? Do you, do you want to add anything before we move forward? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Did I get a good grade on that? <laughs> I know. Cause I know this has been like, just like what you said, like posting your price or just having a form. It's, it's such a big issue. And I'm pretty sure people who are listening didn't even know that it was an issue. Oh, I'm I'm sure I'm going to have some people who are not going to agree with me, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it it really, I can give best practices. I can talk about the things that I know tend to be obstacles for people when they are trying to com- to communicate with a potential service provider, and there are going to be people people who just don't feel that that lines up with the systems in their business, and I you know your business better than I do. But I know how people engage with websites. The best thing I can say in those situations is test it. Put a heat map like Crazy Egg on your website and see where people are clicking. And if you have a form, you'll see if people are starting to fill out a form and if they drop off before submitting it. You, There are tools out there that will give you the data to determine what is actually working on your website so you're not guessing at it. So I can give best practices, but ultimately, you know your audience best, but there are these tools that will actually tell you which one of us is right. (laughs) (laughs) I think the, 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 the one thing that people need to understand is when it comes to like these things, if, if you see like a huge drop off rate or whatever, I think people need to understand that not everyone is our client. Especially Absolutely. for white people. So, Absolutely. You know. And if you are, listen, your website should 
not only attract the people you want to do business with, it really should, I don't like to use the term repel, but it should discourage the people that you are not looking to serve. And um, so uh, Shay, I work with him a lot. So his name does come up a a lot. His, uh, he and his wife run a, an event planning company in Austin, Texas. And uh, Cheryl, his wife, went through this exercise quite a few years ago where she did rework the content on their website to appeal to a specific audience. And she refers to it, she she called it uh, exclude to include, using this language to, um, by excluding the people that you you don't want to serve that you you're that are not your ideal clients by using that language at the same time you're really making the people you do want to work with feel included i hope i did justice to that i'm sure shay will listen to this and let me know <laughs> if i completely butchered that or not but i i think the essence is there that um it's it, not everybody is your client and if you are not getting any pushback, then you're, you're probably not being specific enough. And then that goes back to the thing we talked about at the beginning about narrowing down your niche. And uh, yeah. And who, wh- what the purpose of your site is. That's really good. Yeah. Exclude to include. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. That's, that's cool. what she, that's what she called it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So now let's go move forward to, um, the, what are the ways that you can protect your website? So this is an this is an area that is so often overlooked. It is probably the topic that I talk about the most when I do um, guest podcast episodes like this, or when I'm doing any sort of speaking or training. Is very much on the security and protecting your website side of things because a lot of people put a whole lot of effort into building their websites and they don't even realize that there are not only are there things that they can do to protect it, that they really need to in order to protect themselves. This really matters the most if you are on a website, like website builder, not a website builder, a website platform like WordPress. So if you are on something like a Wix or a Weebly or Squarespace you don't need to plan for this quite as much because you have less control. You are not going to be able to make backups of your website. You're not responsible for the security on it. These are proprietary software programs and those companies, those platforms are responsible for managing the security and the backups themselves. I mean, that those platforms come with a lot of other limitations, but this is one area that you don't need to, you can't do anything really, even if you wanted to. But WordPress, this is really important um, because the fact is that websites get hacked <laughs> and so, or sometimes you accidentally break something when you're working on your website or you run updates and a plugin update has a negative impact on something or a theme update breaks a website. It does happen, but there are steps that you can take to make sure that you are always protected and having um, backups in place. So if you are on, if you are planning on building on WordPress or you are, are already on WordPress, I would very, very much encourage you to go look at a, a plugin solution called vault press. And Paul, I'll give you um, links to all of these things that you can include in your show notes. Okay. Thank you. Um, it's, really, really inexpensive. It's like $39 a year 
and it gives you daily automated backups, 30 days worth of daily automated backups. So if something breaks, you just go and restore the, the update from the day before. Super easy. But if you don't have a solution like that in place and you rely on your hosting company, you can find yourself in a sticky situation because I have seen hosting companies um, not able to restore backups. And then you're screwed because you have a broken website and no backup. So think about what platform you're on. If you're on WordPress, make sure that you do have a backups provider in place. Look also into security plugins. The one that I usually recommend is called Securi. It's a little more expensive. It's about $200 a year, but not one of our clients who has had it has ever been hacked. It's incredibly effective. And then if you are hacked when you have it, they will go in and clean it up at no additional cost. So it's really worthwhile looking into. And even if that one's not a fit, there are other ones like um, WordFence is a name that I think a lot of people have heard. And another one's called iTheme Security Pro. I'll give you links to all of these. I do encourage people to go and take a look at all of them and get some sort of security plugin on their website if they are on WordPress. It's, it's just, the reason is it's, WordPress is so popular. It powers so many websites that it makes sense that when it powers that many websites, it's going to be a target. Yeah. Yep, so, yep. so you can take steps to protect yourself. And then the other thing I want to mention as far as protecting your website, because this applies to everybody, not just those on WordPress. And it has to do with your logins. You have to make sure you have all of your logins. So many people, especially if they had somebody else build their website for them, they don't have all of their logins in a centralized location. I'm a big fan of using a password manager, something like LastPass, uh, because it allows you to organize all that information and have it in one place, but it also allows you to um, create more secure passwords. So you're not using the same one across a whole lot of different accounts, which is a big no-no in terms of security. And um, the other side of this logins piece is not just having them all, but making sure that you actually have ownership of all of your accounts. So everybody, regardless of how you've built your, your website, you have a domain name. You registered that domain name somewhere. You need to make sure you registered that domain name in your name. Because what happens is sometimes people have their web developer do that. And then the web developer, unfortunately, registers it in their own name. And technically, you don't own your domain. And I have seen this more times than I care to think about. And I've seen lawsuits come out of situations like oh that. Gosh. Because you have a web developer who decides they're going to hold it hostage. That's crazy. It's crazy. And it's happened. The stories I've heard, the number of times I've heard this happen, it's 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 quite upsetting to be honest because they they're making my job a whole lot harder because people don't trust me because of bad experiences they've had in the past, and I totally get it. But you have a responsibility to make sure that this stuff is registered in your name and that you have all of the access. Excuse me, that you have all of the logins. Uh, you can't delegate this stuff completely yeah i think that um i think that it's part of your job 
<clears throat> just like excuse me, just like what you were saying earlier, you know, it's part of your job to educate your clients, and the, that the fact that you know that you need to tell the, your clients that you you guys need to own your own domain, not me, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's really important for other people who are looking for web developers to to know that. And I mean, how would you know until this, for so many people they they don't know some of these things that are important for them to know until a problem comes up and they realize that this is information or steps that they should have taken uh, beforehand. So I am hoping that through my podcast and appearing, uh, doing guest appearances on podcasts like yours, that more people will, you know, take that step of making sure that their domain is in their name and, and do some of these things proactively before there's a problem that forces them to deal with this head on and realize that implementing some sort of simple or even even free solution would have completely protected them it breaks my heart some of the stories that i've heard that i know would have been completely avoided with a five dollar a month solution but how do you know unless somebody Ugh. tells you <laughs> I, you know i feel like that's the tragedy of being a small business owner especially a, a wedding business owner because it's way smaller than a small business and you know you the funding that you have you don't really have that much um funds to pay for all of these but at the end of the day you know if you just plan it out and basically you save yourself a huge headache if you look for the right person because you know I, I feel like when i was starting out i was just trying to like cut as many corners as i can just to mm -hmm. be able to have this service but not fully pay it so yeah i, I feel like well, that's a struggle yeah and i think you it takes a bit of education to learn where is it important to spend the money versus where can you um pull back a little bit on the investment. I'm, I mean, I'm never going to say a brand new business owner needs to invest in a complete custom WordPress uh, custom development right, right from the get-go, but I am going to insist on them making sure that whatever solution they go with has the proper protection in place, even if that means spending a little bit of extra money on a monthly or annual basis it's about understanding your priorities and understanding what really is the necessary stuff. So for example, when I, when I'm working on a new website for somebody, I will say, listen, this is, this is something that if you can carve out the budget, I would recommend it because it's going to be, be beneficial for, you know, X, Y, Z reasons. Right. Um, this one, this is mandatory in my opinion, because you're really leaving yourself vulnerable if you don't do it. So I'm always going to insist on getting those backups in place, for example, but I may not say that they have to put a particular security plugin in place, although I may still strongly recommend it. Yeah, actually, that's so that's my point is, since we're our struggle is to like have the funds and, you know, mm -hmm. make sure that you allot money for these things because it is going to be an investment if yeah. you're if you're serious about having your own business then these are the you know growing pains you have to like pay that's for the these reality yep. there there is a cost to running a business and i mean if if you are if it's a hobby then more power to you that that's yeah. fine 
I'm, I'm there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if you intend to run a business, running a business comes with cost. And it's just about, f- like you said, doing a bit of the legwork to figure out what is really a requirement versus what's something that you can hold off on. Yeah, I just, you know, make, make sure that you, there's a reason why you charge a lot. And it's because of these things, not because you need to pay, you need to buy um, different kinds of cheeses every night, you know, <laughs> there's a reason. I, I do yeah. like a good cheese, I'm not oh, going to lie. Me too, me too. <laughs> That's why it's my example, because I charge a lot for cheese. <laughs> I Listen, I could be live very happily on wine, cheese and bread. Oh my so. gosh, oh yes. Forever. But no, I mean, certainly um, 20 years of experience and all of that, that does that does go into a, a price point. But I, I also realize that a lot of people don't really understand what goes into building a website from scratch, for example. And they might think that it's, um, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50 hours of work. And I would say a lot of the websites we build are 100 to 200 hours of work. So yeah. <laughs> that um, that adds up. Um, and not everybody needs that. A lot of wedding businesses do not need that right at the beginning. Um, but hopefully throughout some of the, we- the education initiatives that I'm taking, I can give people the the knowledge and the information to make better decisions for their websites, for their, for their businesses. That's I feel like, well, I want to ask you since you've been doing this for a while, since there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of available ways to help you create your website. Is it cheaper? To so maintain many. <laughs> a, yeah. That's the thing. Like, is it cheaper to maintain a website now than before? Like 15 years ago? Um, listen, when I started, I remember, so it was January 2000 when I set up my domain name for my first business and my domains then were a hundred dollars a year. So now you get them for what? 10 bucks? 10 bucks. Yep. So you, you pot, listen, I'm, I am a bit of a domain hoarder. I see a domain (laughs) that I like and I think I might be able to use, I'm going to get it. 20 years ago, you had to really have plans for that domain. There was no domain hoarding. Yep. Um, I like to collect them. I've got so many of them that oh, I just think <laughs> I might be able to use someday. Um, so costs have gotten cheaper. There are more solutions now. You didn't have builders like now, uh, then like you do now. And I think there's a lot, it, it's cheaper than ever to get a website set up, but a lot of the best practices haven't changed in terms of how to best present your information and understand. I mean, the idea of understanding your ideal client, that's not a new concept. It's just a new medium that it's not even a new medium anymore. Um, those things haven't changed, but how we can go about building websites certainly has. And that's great. It means that it's far more affordable for small businesses to get started, but they do still need to know what to do with those tools. You, you kind of made me feel better because I just opened up my domain uh, website and I actually have 20 domain names. There you names. go. <laughs> <laughs> so now I feel better. So I'm not going to count how many I have. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so I want to ask you, I, I pulled up my domain because I remember... 
um, whenever I type a domain because I like hoarding domain names too. <laughs> it it gives me like an option to purchase the domain for a year, and then there's, mm-hmm. there's a privacy protection, and then yeah. I uh, and then they show me like options like Komodo SSL certificates and SiteLock. Are these should do I need these? Because it's like an extra nine dollars. You're on, you're on GoDaddy, year. aren't you? I, I'm at domain.com. <laughs> yeah, domain.com. Okay, um, some of those things you don't necessarily need on the domain. I honestly, I would just get the plain domain. Now, the privacy protection, like the Who Is um, yes. privacy protection, I do like to have that. I'm on Namecheap, and for me, it's always free. They include it. Mm. I'm a big fan of Namecheap.com um, for domains. Um, and they didn't even pay me to say that. So um, maybe they will now. After maybe this. they will now. Um, but no, as far as things like site lock and stuff, that that site lock is, I think I can't remember what what is that? Their security or backups or anyways, I you don't necessarily need that on your domains. I would just get the domain. I would get the who is protection. But then as far as things like SSL, that has to do with your hosting, and you can get that set up with your hosting account. Depending on who your hosting provider is, certain ones make it easier than others. Um, I am a big fan of SiteGround. It's who hosts all of my websites. And um, they have a free Let's Encrypt SSL that is very easy to set up and it's free. So there are other hosting providers that only have paid for SSL options and it's a lot more complicated and it doesn't have to be. So that's one of the things I often recommend when you're looking for a hosting company is to find out what their SSL um, okay. offerings are. So, Oh my that, gosh. That's, I'm, I'm that's gonna, a whole other oh side of gosh. things. <laughs> I'm going to ask is, you that at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is why I, I put together a, um, a free website planning checklist because there are all sorts of these things that you you know what are the things you should look for in a hosting company what are the questions you should ask when you are choosing a website platform what are the security steps that you should take i wanted to be able to provide just kind of a quick download for people to be able to print this out and just go through it and knock these things off one by one because it's very overwhelming to know which hosting provider to choose and which platform to choose all these things. So if I can provide a little bit of direction to help narrow that down and feel a little less overwhelming, then um, I'm going to do what I can on that front. So I might give you a link to that if you want to. I would love to have that link and make sure they, they get access to that because it's really important. Okay. So my last question, well, not really last, but, um, (laughs) Since since this is like so overwhelming and it's just the website, it's crazy that it's just your website and we need to do all of these things. Yeah. Would, would someone need a project management tool to organize the tasks and contents? And yes. what would you recommend? Oh, you can't see me, but I am nodding vigorously. <laughs> um, yes, Absolutely. You need a system for organizing your content so that this whole process goes smoothly and you're not trying to track things down constantly. There are a lot of different tools that you can use. I think the most important thing to do is to find one that you can actually stick to and do it consistently. I am a fan of project management software. Um, I use both Basecamp and Asana. I use Asana internally. Um, They do have a free plan. 
I use a paid one because I have a lot of team members in it and I need to be able to use different permission settings and all of that. But they do have a free option. So that is probably the one I'd recommend. Basecamp is great, but it's not particularly cheap anymore. And uh, I use that one for client facing. It just the... the interface of it is a little more intuitive and a little more simple. And that's why a lot of my clients really prefer to use that um, for when we are building websites for them. I actually have one client who has said she's an ongoing client and she has said, if I ever take Basecamp away, <laughs> she's going to have a real big problem with it. So that's incentive to keep it. Um, so project man- management software is great. Google Docs is your best friend. It's free. It's a great place to organize information. I highly recommend using that for organizing, writing your website content and your copy if you are not already doing so. I use it for a ton of things in my business. And Evernote is another application that I like to use. And people can look into that. It has some similarities with Google Docs. Um, but, I, you know, it's just kind of a different interface in terms of how you organize information. So I use all four of those things already that I've said. And then Dropbox is another really popular tool that um, I would recommend for organizing things like um, your branding assets. So having a folder on Dropbox that has all your logo versions and has um, any videos that you're planning on using in PDFs and all of the various content that you might need to save and organize and share potentially. If you are working with a web developer, you are going to need to share images with them and all of these branding assets. So having it on Dropbox and just being able to give them a link to that, that can be really useful. But um, even if you are working with a web developer, you still want to do that process in a project management tool because I think sometimes people just want to do it through email and that is email is the fast track to website hell (laughs) because (laughs) you you'll be talking about multiple things and it's hard to tell what your final decision was on something and it just becomes really messy really quickly. And that is one of the things I basically to the point that I now have put it in my my letter of engagement for clients we will be using a project management tool. We will not be facilitating this project by email because I know that's just going to go messy real fast. So regardless of whether you're DIYing your website or you're working with a developer, I highly recommend using some sort of project management tool. Okay, cool. I like that because, I, you know, I actually use Google Docs a lot because... Mm-hmm. It's easier to share it to people. And also, I, f- I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like it's a very, very secure website because... Well, especially if you have two-factor um, authentication turned on. And I, the other thing I like about Google Docs is it's very collaborative. So if you are working with, say, a copywriter to write your copy, you can have one place where you're both working on that. Or if you're trying to plan out the scope for something and you both need to be able to, you know, work simultaneously on on scoping that out then google docs is great for that yeah it actually <laughs> the first time i used it with someone else it makes me giddy that i could see them like typing the thing i'm like <laughs> oh my gosh this is great <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's it's wonderful and there's you never have any question about what the final um decision decision was if if you are sending you know microsoft word documents back and forth there's that this it can quickly um, fall into, well, was this the final copy? I don't know about you, but I 
have you ever seen those um, file naming systems where it's like um, website copy version one, website copy version two, website version copy three, final, oh, yeah. website version copy three, final, final. Yeah, <laughs> that, like, okay, that's for that's for video what? editors too. Oh my gosh, what which one is one <laughs> I am working with? So having oh, some sort of tool that is documenting that and you you know without question what is what is the final version that we are going ahead with that just removes a lot of frustration <laughs> the final final version four <laughs> yeah i think graphic designers suffer from that too oh my gosh <laughs> that's so crazy okay so um now that we have all the tools and we have a grasp of what our website needs mm-hmm. what is there a way that we could test out the site before we we air it <laughs> we publish before it before we air it before we publish it well listen there's there are a lot of things that you need to do before you push go live um and that checklist i talked about is going to provide some um some suggestions on that as well some recommendations about the things to check over before you push it live but once you do go live so I kind of look at building website, building an effective website in three kind of core steps. You've got assessing your website, planning, and then the third part is maintaining and optimizing. And this is where you need to continue to give your website some love and you're going to need to continue to um, revise and revamp as you gain information about what's working and what's not. But that means you have to pay attention to what's working and what's not. So part of going live is going to be making sure that you have Google Analytics in place. And on a regular basis, you're going to want to check for things like broken links. So using a tool like brokenlinkcheck.com can help you with that. I mentioned heat maps earlier. And these let you actually see how people are engaging on your website. So it's kind of the visual representation of the data that you might find in Google Analytics. They're not always cheap, but I think they're about, oh gosh, don't hold me to this. I think crazy egg at one point was about a hundred and something a year you go to take a look at their website and you'll see what it is now um, but that can give you some really valuable information to understand how people are actually engaging with your website so you know what you might want to tweak on there so there are tools like this paying attention to your website page speed this is something i talk a lot about as well it's not one of the sexier sides of building a website and people don't really want to necessarily talk about how fast is my website but having a really slow website will have a negative impact on the conversions from your website but it's also going to impact your um your seo and the traffic that you actually get in the first place. So it's going to ne- negatively impact the traffic you get and it's going to negatively impact the conversions from the people who do actually get there. So these are all important things to stay on top of. And with PageSpeed, you can use a tool from Google called PageSpeed Insights, completely free. It's just a website you go and you type your website address into and it will spit back information about how your, your website ranks in terms of speed. These are all things you need to pay attention to. I like to recommend that people schedule a website date with themselves once once a month and go through some of these maintenance um, checklist items to make sure that they are constantly ensuring that their website is performing as well as it can. Okay. So, okay, I have a question about Google Analytics. 
Would sure. I be able to hire someone to read the analytics and report it to me? Um, to in to yeah. interpret it? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. This is something that um, an SEO specialist would probably do. So um, Shay, actually, if you if you are looking for somebody to talk to, I can uh, put you in touch with somebody. Um, having the analytics is, is important. At a minimum, at least get the code on your website, even if you don't know how to interpret what's in there. Um, because if you don't have that code in place, you can't retroactively gather that information. You want to at least be collecting it, even if you're not doing anything with it. So make sure that you do have analytics on your website. It's totally free. It's just a piece of code that you're going to have to put in there. And, uh, it, you know, Google, it seems kind of meta to say it, but if you need to know how to use Google Analytics, Google it. <laughs> and they have plenty of information on, on how to in, insert this um, and then if you're not using WordPress, uh, your website platform will probably have a knowledge base that will tell you how to insert your code as well. They probably have a simple place to, to put that in. So you definitely want to get that in place. But yeah, there absolutely are people that will help you make sense of that information and um, how to rejig things based on the data that's coming out of it. So that's that is great. actually... That is actually a, um, I think Shay and I are going to do an analytics workshop at some point in the not too distant Oh my gosh, well. that would be great. The, so yeah. I don't have to share my login information to the person, right? Is there? No, what you do is uh, there is a space that allows you to go in and add additional users. So you don't have to ah. give your main administrative login. You can give, um, you can add somebody and give them the rights to view your information, but they are not an administrative contact, so they can't make administrative level changes to it. That's wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So <laughs> after all of these, the person who's probably listening to this right now is losing their mind and I, I, getting I hope they haven't all dropped off by now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure if they you're stayed. Still with us, if you're still with us, Kudos to you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they stayed because now they're scared. Um, no, oh, so, no, that's not what I want. <laughs> I'm pretty scared because I'm like, oh, now that I Listen, haven't touched my site in a year, yeah. now I got to go back and check. It's it's over. It can feel overwhelming, but I don't want it to. The important thing to know is slow down, understand that before you make decisions on your website, Planning is important, getting a really clear understanding of what you want out of your website and what your visitors want out of your website is it's just it's foundational information and a foundational step that so many of us skip. I am just as guilty of doing this and I know better because it's we have so much to do as it is the idea of adding that much additional work to our plate is overwhelming, but I am. I've really come to embrace the um, philosophy of overwhelm is a choice. And if I just stay in action and I take it one step at a time, you don't feel the overwhelm in the same way. So tackling these things bit by bit is probably the best way to do it. You can't do all of this at once, but hopefully if you know, you go grab that planning checklist that I, I mentioned, that will give you a guide to, to start tackling this stage by stage. And then I think you people will find that they'll make a lot of 
there'll be a lot of transformation that happens fairly quickly just by chipping away at it a little bit at a time. Uh, yep, that's exactly. I, I feel like um, people need to understand that it's going to be a process. Whatever you, whatever mm-hmm. you do, it's always going to be a, a process, even if it's new or old. So lifelong learning, my friend. Yep. So with that, Brenda, thank you so <laughs> much. I really appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge to us. And I can't believe what you just gave us is free. So I hope you don't charge us for <laughs> my, this. No. <laughs> well, and if if you have not had enough of it, if, if you would like to get more website um, uh, education in a more bite-sized format, um, I... I would love for people to come check out the podcast. Uh, we've got, I've got the fifth episode coming out this week. And um, so far the, the response has been incredibly positive. So I'm hoping I'll stick around and do that for a while. It's always fun. And I would, I would love it mm-hmm. if you actually tell the listeners um, how they g- could reach you and uh, sure. where they could reach the podcast. So you can find um, me. My business website is bonacordcreative.com. I will give you a link to put in the show notes for that. And the if you want to find the podcast, if you just go to createabetterwebsite.com, it'll forward you to the podcast page. That's perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And all the best to you. Thank you very much. I told you that it was going to be a great episode, right? I hope this helps you in adding more value to your service. What makes you different and the only way to get to that level is when you talk to experts who specialize in different aspects of running a business. You have to understand that most people in our industry stop at knowing how to do the skill and then someone tells them, oh, you just have to charge more. When they get to the part where they actually have to add value, they quit because it's too much work. That's called the dip. And that's the part where you actually overtake and take the lead. Running a small business is hard work, especially when you're doing it by yourself. Fortunately, there's Facebook. If you want to stay updated on future episodes or watch the live video interviews, feel free to go to the Wedding Bossness Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash weddingbossness or join the Facebook group if you have any questions or would want to help others. I'll put all of the info in the notes below. Feel free to reach out and talk to other like-minded bossness people or just let off some steam. Till then... Play nice if you can't win. Be nice, especially if you're good looking. Boss man out. Depending on who your hosting provider is, certain ones make it easier than others. Um, I am a big fan of SiteGround. It's who hosts all of my websites. And um, they have a free Let's Encrypt SSL that is very easy to set up and it's free. So there are other hosting providers that only have 
paid for SSL options and it's a lot more complicated and it doesn't have to be. So that's one of the things I often recommend when you're looking for a hosting company is to find out what their SSL um, okay. offerings are. So, oh my that, gosh, that's, I'm, I'm that's gonna, a whole other oh side of gosh. things. <laughs> I'm going to ask is, you that at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is why I, I put together a, um, a free website planning checklist because there are all sorts of these things that you, you know, what are the things you should look for in a hosting company? What are the questions you should ask when you are choosing a website platform? What are the security steps that you should take? I wanted to be able to provide just kind of a quick download for people to be able to print this out and just go through it and knock these things off one by one because it's very overwhelming to know which hosting provider to choose and which platform oh to gosh. choose and all That's these great. things. So if I can provide a little bit of direction to help narrow that down and feel a little less overwhelming, then um, I'm going to do what I can on that front. So I might give you a link to that if you want to. I would love to have that link and make sure they, they get access to that because yeah. it's really important. Okay. So my last question, well, not really last, but... Um, <laughs> Since since this is like so overwhelming and it's just the website, it's crazy that it's just your website and we need to do all of these things. Yeah. Would, would someone need a project management tool to organize the tasks and contents? And yes. what would you recommend? Oh, you can't see me, but I am nodding vigorously. <laughs> um, yes, Absolutely. You need a system for organizing your content so that this whole process goes smoothly and you're not trying to track things down constantly. There are a lot of different tools that you can use. I think the most important thing to do is to find one that you can actually stick to and do it consistently. I am a fan of project management software. Um, I use both Basecamp and Asana. I use Asana internally. Um, they do have a free plan. I use a paid one because I have a lot of team members in it and I need to be able to use different permission settings and all of that, but they do have a free option. So that is probably the one I'd recommend. Basecamp is great, but it's not particularly cheap anymore. And uh, I use that one for client facing. It's just the, the interface of it is a little more intuitive and a little more simple. And that's why a lot of my clients really prefer to use that um, for when we are building websites for them. I actually have one client who has said she's an ongoing client and she has said, if I ever take Basecamp away, <laughs> she's going to have a real big problem with it. So that's incentive to keep it. Um, so project man management software is great. Google Docs is your best friend. It's free. It's a great place to organize information. I highly recommend using that for organizing, writing your website content and your copy if you are not already doing so. I use it for a ton of things in my business. And Evernote is another application that I like to use. And people can look into that. It has some similarities with Google Docs. Um, but, I, you know, it's just kind of a different interface in terms of how you organize information. So I use all four of those things already that I've said. And then Dropbox is another really popular tool that um, I would recommend for organizing things like um, your branding assets. So having a folder on Dropbox that has all your logo versions and has um, any videos that you're planning on using in PDFs and all of the various content that you might need to save and organize and share potentially. If you are working with a web developer 
you are going to need to share images with them and all of these branding assets. So having it on Dropbox and just being able to give them a link to that, that can be really useful. But um, even if you are working with a web developer, you still want to do that process in a project management tool because I think sometimes people just want to do it through email and that is email is the fast track to website hell <laughs> because <laughs> you you'll be talking about multiple things and it's hard to tell what your final decision was on something and it just becomes really messy really quickly. And that is one of the things I basically to the point that I now have put it in my let my letter of engagement for clients we will be using a project management tool. We will not be facilitating this project by email because I know that's just going to go messy real fast. So regardless of whether you're DIYing your website or you're working with a developer, I highly recommend using some sort of project management tool. Okay, cool. I like that because, I, you know, I actually use Google Docs a lot because... Mm -hmm. It's easier to share it to people. And also, I, f I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like it's a very, very secure website because... Well, especially if you have two-factor um, authentication turned on. And I, the other thing I like about Google Docs is it's very collaborative. So if you are working with, say, a copywriter to write your copy, you can have one place where you're both working on that. Or if you're trying to plan out the scope for something and you both need to be able to, you know, work simultaneously on on scoping that out then google docs is great for that yeah it actually <laughs> the first time i used it with someone else it makes me giddy that i could see them like typing the thing i'm like <laughs> oh my gosh this is great <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's it's wonderful and there's you never have any question about what the final um decision decision was if if you are sending you know microsoft word documents back and forth there's that this it can quickly um, fall into, well, was this the final copy? I don't know about you, but I have you ever seen those um, file naming systems where it's like um, website copy version one, website copy version two, website version copy three, final, oh, website yeah. version copy three, final, final. Yeah, <laughs> that, like, okay, that's, for, that's for video what? editors too. Oh my gosh. what? Which one is one <laughs> I am working with? So having oh, some sort of tool that is documenting that and you you know without question what is what is the final version that we are going ahead with that just removes a lot of frustration <laughs> the final final version four <laughs> yeah i think graphic designers suffer from that too. oh my gosh that's so crazy okay so um now that we have all the tools and we have a grasp of what our website needs mm -hmm. what is there a way that we could test out the site before we we air it <laughs> we publish before it. you air it before we publish it well listen there's there are a lot of things that you need to do before you push go live um and that checklist i talked about is going to provide some um some suggestions on that as well some recommendations about the things to check over before you push it live but once you do go live, so I kind of look at building website, building an effective website in three kind of core steps. You've got assessing your website, planning, and then the third part is maintaining and optimizing. And this is where you need to continue to give your website some love and you're going to need to continue to um, revise and revamp as you 
gain information about what's working and what's not. But that means you have to pay attention to what's working and what's not. So part of going live is going to be making sure that you have Google Analytics in place. And on a regular basis, you're going to want to check for things like broken links. So using a tool like brokenlinkcheck.com can help you with that. I mentioned heat maps earlier. And these let you actually see how people are engaging on your website. So it's kind of the visual representation of the data that you might find in Google Analytics. They're not always cheap, but I think they're about, oh gosh, don't hold me to this. I think Crazy Egg at one point was about a hundred and something a year. You go to take a look at their website and you'll see what it is now. Um, but that can give you some really valuable information to understand how people are actually engaging with your website so you know what you might want to tweak on there. So there are tools like this. Paying attention to your website page speed. This is something I talk a lot about as well. It's not one of the sexier sides of building a website and people don't really want to necessarily talk about how fast is my website. But having a really slow website will have a negative impact on the conversions from your website, but it's also going to impact your um, your SEO and the traffic that you actually get in the first place. So it's going to ne negatively impact the traffic you get, and it's going to negatively impact the conversions from the people who do actually get there. So these are all important things to stay on top of. And with PageSpeed, you can use a tool from Google called PageSpeed Insights, completely free. It's just a website you go and you type your website address into and it will spit back information about how your, your website ranks in terms of speed. These are all things you need to pay attention to. I like to recommend that people schedule a website date with themselves once, once a month and go through some of these maintenance um, checklist items to make sure that they are constantly ensuring that their website is performing as well as it can. Okay. So, okay, I have a question about Google Analytics. Would sure. I be able to hire someone to read the analytics and report it to me? Um, to in to yeah. interpret it? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. This is something that um, an SEO specialist would probably do. So, um, Shay, actually, if you... If you are looking for somebody to talk to, I can uh, put you in touch with somebody. Um, having the analytics is, is important. At a minimum, at least get the code on your website, even if you don't know how to interpret what's in there. Um, because if you don't have that code in place, you can't retroactively gather that information. You want to at least be collecting it, even if you're not doing anything with it. So make sure that you do have analytics on your website. It's totally free. It's just a piece of code that you're going to have to put in there. And, uh, it, you know, Google, it seems kind of meta to say it, but if you need to know how to use Google Analytics, Google it. <laughs> and they have plenty of information on, on how to in, insert this um and then if you're not using WordPress, uh, your website platform will probably have a knowledge base that will tell you how to insert your code as well. They probably have a simple place to, to put that in. So you definitely want to get that in place. But yeah, there absolutely are people that will help you make sense of that information and um, how to rejig things based on the data that's coming out of it. So that's that is great. actually... That is actually a, um, I think Shay and I are going to do an analytics workshop at some point in the not too distant Oh my gosh, that well. would be great. The, so yeah. I don't have to share my login information 
to the person, right? Is there no? What you do is uh, there is a space that allows you to go in and add additional users. So you don't have to ah. give your main administrative login. You can give, um, you can add somebody and give them the rights to view your information, but they are not an administrative contact, so they can't make administrative level changes to it. That's wonderful. Oh my gosh. Okay, so <laughs> after all of these. The person who's probably listening to this right now is losing their mind and I, I, getting. I hope super they haven't all dropped off by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure if they you're stayed. Still with us, if you're still with us, kudos to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they stayed because now they're scared. Um, no, oh so, no, that's not what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty scared because I'm like, oh, the, now that I Listen, haven't touched my site in a year, yeah. now I got to go back and check. It's it's over. It can feel overwhelming, but I don't want it to. The important thing to know is slow down, understand that before you make decisions on your website, planning is important. Getting a really clear understanding of what you want out of your website and what your visitors want out of your website is it's just it's foundational information and a foundational step that so many of us skip i am just as guilty of doing this and i know better because it's we have so much to do as it is the idea of adding that much additional work to our plate is overwhelming but i am i've really come to embrace the um, philosophy of overwhelm is a choice and if I just stay in action and I take it one step at a time, you don't feel the overwhelm in the same way. So tackling these things bit by bit is probably the best way to do it. You can't do all of this at once, but hopefully if you know you go grab that planning checklist that I, I mentioned, that will give you a guide to, to start tackling this stage by stage. And then I think you people will find that they'll make a lot of There'll be a lot of transformation that happens fairly quickly just by chipping away at it a little bit at a time. Uh, yep, that's exactly. I, I feel like uh, people need to understand that it's going to be a process. Whatever you, whatever mm -hmm. you do, it's always going to be a, a process, even if it's new or old. So lifelong learning, my friend. Yep. So with that, Brenda, thank you so <laughs> much. I really appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge to us. And I can't believe what you just gave us is free. So I hope you don't charge us for <laughs> My, this. No. <laughs> well, and if if you have not had enough of it, if, if you would like to get more website um, uh, education in a more bite-sized format, um, I I would love for people to come check out the podcast. Uh, we've got I've got the fifth episode coming out this week, and um, so far the the response has been incredibly positive. So I'm hoping I'll stick around and do that for a while. It's always fun. And I would, I would love it mm -hmm. if you actually tell the listeners um, how they could reach you and uh, sure. where they could reach the podcast. So you can find um, me. My business website is bonacordcreative.com. I will give you a link to put in the show notes for that. And the if you want to find the podcast, if you just go to createabetterwebsite.com, it'll forward you to the podcast page. That's perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And all the best to you. Thank you very much. I told you that it was going to be a great episode, right? I hope this helps you in adding more value to your service. 
what makes you different, and the only way to get to that level is when you talk to experts who specialize in different aspects of running a business. You have to understand that most people in our industry stop at knowing how to do the skill, and then they, someone tells them, oh, you just have to charge more. When they get to the part where they actually have to add value, they quit because it's too much work. That's called the dip. And that's the part where you actually overtake and take the lead. Running a small business is hard work, especially when you're doing it by yourself. Fortunately, there's Facebook. If you want to stay updated on future episodes or watch the live video interviews, feel free to go to the Wedding Bossness Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash weddingbossness or join the Facebook group if you have any questions or would want to help others. I'll put all of the info in the notes below. Feel free to reach out and talk to other like-minded bossness people or just let off some steam. Till then... Play nice if you can't win. Be nice, especially if you're good looking. Boss man out.